Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we were unable to bring you guys an episode last week due to technical difficulties and then Thanksgiving and we were away from home and whatnot. So this week, Justin, we have a mega episode for everyone discussing Champions League game week five, two weeks of the Premier League and uh, the MLS Cup playoffs thus far. Justin, let's start with the Premier League going back to match day 12 last week. And it was a, a, a big game to start off the week, which was Chelsea going to the King Power to take on Leicester and leaving with a 3-0 win. Goals from Rudiger, Conte, and Captain America himself, Christian Pulisic, off the bench. Uh, big win for Chelsea and, you know, kind of continued Leicester's slump, which they would correct a bit this weekend. But that was a arguably one of the biggest games of the weekend. Um, and Chelsea came out, came out pretty dominant winners. Um, and then there are two crazy draws, Justin. You want to uh, quickly talk about those? Yeah, of course. Those 3-3 three, three thrillers uh, between Newcastle and Brentford and then between Burnley and Crystal Palace. So some, some really big games in that lower half to middle of the table. Uh, I mean, 3-3, three, three, can, can you get more exciting than that? Those are the games we love to watch. So that was fun. Uh, Aston Villa got a less than exciting 2-0 win over Brentford. And then we had the big one of the week, which we didn't look like a big one going into the week, but it ended up being a big one. That was 4-1 at Vicarage Road to Watford over Manchester United with Josh King, Ismail Assar, João Pedro, and uh, Emmanuel Bonaventura in on the score sheet, Emmanuel Dennis. So... Uh, Donny Van Beek getting the one for United with Harry Maguire being sent off as well. And of course, it led to the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Thoughts on that, Gary? Finally, finally. We've been talking about it for months, man. We were just like, how is this dude still in the job? And this was the straw. And more accurately, this was the brick that broke the camel's back because, I mean, this was a pathetic performance from United. I also thought it was uh, quite ironic that it's Donny van de Beek, of all people, who uh, got United back into the game at that point. It was 2-1. Um, you know, obviously the player who cost United a good amount of money and Ole's kind of ostracized him for, for no real reason. Um, and so he's the one who comes off the bench and scores. I thought that was uh, quite ironic, but you know, we've been talking about Ole getting sacked forever and it finally happened. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, as Dan, Donnie Van de Beek might be one of those players along with Sancho that will uh, thrive for Ole leaving. With, with a system being put in place um, with the new manager, which we will talk about soon. And then we had uh, Wolves-West Ham. So 1-0 one, one to Wolves, uh, which was surprising. I mean, well, West Ham were having a really good season, top four, still top four, but falling off the pace a little bit. Uh, and, and Wolves having a great season. So put it, putting their name in the hat um, pretty close behind West Ham at this point. So big win there, uh, showing these two teams are both serious, both having really good seasons, and it's not a fluke from either of them, it seems. Then we had Norwich uh, 2-1 over Southampton at Carroll Road. That's a big win for them, of course. We keep talking about how Norwich, if they want to stay in the Premier League, they need wins. They need games where they can pick up three points, uh, and that's what they got. They're, they are finally out of dead last. They're finally into 19th, uh, which is a good sign for them, honestly. Yeah, I mean... 
thus far their managerial change seems to be uh, relatively justified. Um, you know, they got another point uh, the next, you know, this past weekend, which we can talk about, but you know, they, they have been starting to pick up points. They've, they've been doing better. Um, so yeah, Dean Smith so far, pretty good, you know, got draw against, against Wolves, which, you know, you just said in that, in that West Ham game, you know, they're a serious outfit, you know, they lost their first three games of the season, but they've been pretty superb since then. And they deserve to win that game against West Ham too. They really, really solid performance at home. And I just also wanted to quickly say, um, Steven Gerrard's first game was that one for Villa against Brighton. And, and it's been a, a good start for him thus far as well. So I think pretty much all of these, sackings that we've seen have been justified but with that Justin let's talk about um, one of these statement wins if not the statement one of the week which was Arsenal who obviously were in, in, in very good form coming into this game at Anfield against Liverpool um, you know people have been hyping up Arsenal a lot and it was just complete and utter domination from the home side 4-0 victory goals from Mane, Jata, Sala, and Minamino um, you know, their attackers really getting involved there. Um, and they just utterly dominated this game and are showing why, you know, they are a top title contender um, and, and they're not going away anytime soon. It doesn't seem. Absolutely. I mean, it, Arsenal, as you say, in very good form into this game. And even, even the beginning of the game, it's like, okay, they, they kept around nil-nil for a while. It's like, oh, maybe Arsenal are going to make a game out of this. Then Mane puts one in and they just start flowing into the back of the net. Uh, so, yeah, as you say, Liverpool, very impressive. But, uh, yeah, Arteta, we thought that he would, you know, keep this streak going. He started playing like we think that Arsenal can play under him. Uh, and then it's the question of, well, if you're going to be a top team, if you're really going to play like that, you can't be losing 4-0 to uh, Liverpool. That's just – you can't be doing that. But I will say, a year ago we were having uh, Lampard, Ole, Arteta debates, and there's only one still in a job, so – yeah, no, that's that's a that's a very good point. Although the case could be made that he should have been sacked at multiple points, but he wasn't. Arsenal stayed with him. Um, obviously, you could make the same argument for Ole should have, you know, potentially been sacked like two years ago. So, you know, true. I mean, I've been one backing Arteta, so I think it's been the right decision. I think there's a reason he's still he's he's the only one still in a job. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time. You know, he's the best of those three, but that's not saying a lot, in my opinion. I think all three of those that's kind true. of got into high-profile jobs immediately, mainly due to their pedigree as players and the fact that they were all former successful players at the clubs where they went uh, or where they, where they had their, those jobs. Well, I think Arteta being second to Pep is also a big reason why he got He was job. the most qualified of the three, for sure. But still, yeah. you know... Which being is why being the manager of Arsenal, the best. Is, yeah, but you know, being manager of Arsenal as your first job is uh, quite daunting. And he's, I mean, he's, I don't know, I, I'd give him probably a B minus thus far or something like that. I'm not sure. I think Ars, I think a lot, I think there's a lot of problems beyond just Arteta at Arsenal. Yeah, I hope he's he's trying to solve them. We'll see. He's got, it's still got a lot of work to do for sure. And then we had the our, our game. City versus Everton, uh, <sighs> game that you know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Garrett might want to not want to talk about it, but it was it was fun for me. Three uh, nil to Manchester City. Raheem Sterling, Rodri, and Bernardo Silva. Uh, I mean that goal from Rodri. Good, my goodness. Um, 
a, a good game though. I could tell, I mean, there was that first penalty shout uh, and then it w- wasn't given. Uh, so it, it took city a little bit to get on the score sheet, obviously the 44th minutes right before halftime is when uh, Raheem Sterling made the breakthrough. Uh, the ball city definitely Kinsella, dominated. Man. Oh yeah. Fantastic. The ball from Kinsella on that goal was utterly world-class. Certainly was. He's, I mean, hard pressed to tell me a fullback and in better form in the world right now than Joe Cancelo. Well, yeah, hard pressed. You can't. <laughs> I would agree, but there, there will be uh, those that argue, but yeah, I mean, really domination from city stats wise, 78% possession, which is a ridiculous number, 17 shots, seven of them on target, uh, really domination uh, from Manchester city in this game. So it's a deserved win as much as I hate to say it to Garrett. I'm sorry, but. Well, obviously, but I mean, it's just Damari Gray came off injured in the first half and, and he seems to be back. He came off the bench against Brentford and, and was probably the best, our best player on the pitch when he came on unsurprisingly. But when he went off um, and then Richarlison uh, got booked later in the game, which was his fifth and he was suspended for Brentford. And it was just insult to injury and, Injuries have just been awful for us. Luckily, people are starting to come back. Abdullah Decore played the full 90 against Brentford, so having him back is nice, and he didn't feature in this game. But, you know, it's just Everton are in awful form right now. It's a bit frustrating to, to lose this game the way that we did. Two just stunning goals. Um, Sterling's obviously just an, an unbelievable ball from Cancelo. I don't know if, you know, I, I, that kind of ball isn't really stoppable. And uh, and then obviously the strike from Rodri. I think Delph could have done a, a better job closing him down, if I'm being honest. I think if that's Decore, uh, Rodri's not getting that shot off. Um, and, and then the third goal, you know, just a deflection comes to Bernardo Silva, but that's a result of, of pretty much constant pressure throughout the whole game. Certainly. Certainly was. And then the last game from uh, match week 12, which was Spurs playing Leeds. They went down at the end of the first half um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It was Dan James scoring for Leeds. And uh, the Spurs faithful, faithful were not happy with the first half performance. Spurs were woeful, but they came out swinging in the second half. Got goals from Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and uh, Sergio Regalon. Came back from behind, one two one, uh, so you know, pretty big result for Spurs. I think to you know pick up three points despite we all know that they're not playing at their best. And um, this was Antonio Conte's first win in the Premier League as Spurs manager, so definitely important for them. Yeah, and uh, just to hit on Spurs for a second because they, of course, when we move on to uh, this past week, they did not play because they had their game snowed out, which I believe is the first time in over a decade that's happened, I think, since 2010. It's wild. Um, yeah, it's insane. Um, unfortunate for FPL managers of Kane and Son. Um, but but what is standout is they then lost in the Europa Conference League to Mura 2-1. I mean, what is that? It, complete embarrassment there for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Conte said that after the game in the presser, you know, they have a lot of work to do in, in Spurs that they're just not at the level that he even thought they were when he took the job. So very questionable uh, issues there for, for Tottenham Hotspur and a lot of work uh, for Antonio Conte to do to get them back to a, a high level. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, really, I think Conte needs to be focusing on getting Harry Kane involved again because he's been next to anonymous this season. Obviously, over the international break, he had like five goals in a game for England, maybe four, something ridiculous like that, Yeah, which is what he does, you know. But he has been, you know, in the Premier League, he's done pretty much nothing. I'm pretty sure he has one goal and zero assists in the Premier League thus far. And if Spurs want any chance at getting into Europe again, I mean, they're in seventh right now. I'm not really sure how, but you know, with United in eighth, and I think they'll bounce back potentially. And Leicester, I I don't think will be in 10th. You know, if if Spurs can't get Harry Kane involved, I I don't see them finishing in in a European place. Absolutely. I mean, their best player, one of the best strikers in the world, they have to get him on the score sheet and assisting as well, of course. Moving on to match day 13, Justin, the weekend just gone. And then actually we have match week 14 starting tomorrow. We're recording this on, on Monday night and we have uh, the first set of midweek fixtures um, as we kind of enter the holiday season now and, and the congested fixtures in December, but we'll start at the Emirates. It was Arsenal picking up a two nil win against Newcastle who are still the only winless team left in the league now rooted to the bottom of the table on six points, which is quite horrendous. Obviously we know they are the richest club in the world now, but they are obviously not playing like it. They have not been able to uh, spend any money yet. I'm sure they will in January. I'd be absolutely shocked if they didn't considering how atrocious they've been this season. Um, But, you know, two really lovely goals from Arsenal, Um, Saka and Martinelli, two of the youngsters, kind of been the story of the season for them thus far. Saka and and Smith Rowe. And now, you know, if Martinelli, who's had a lot of injury problems in the past, can keep scoring, you know, Arsenal could be in in pretty good condition going forward. Um, But that Martinelli goal was just absolutely lovely. Ball over the top from Tomiyasu and just deft finish into the corner. Um, and, and then we'll go quickly to uh, Liverpool putting in another dominant this performance, dominant performance this time against um, Southampton, who obviously do not quite have the expectations that Arsenal do. But it was another 4-0 win for them. Uh, Diogo Jota scoring a brace. Thiago Alcantara scoring a deflected goal. Um, and then uh, Virgil van Dijk actually found himself on the score sheet, Justin. Um, so Liverpool just continue rolling and going into the Derby on Wednesday. I'm absolutely terrified um, based on how they're playing. I'm expecting us to get absolutely battered. Yeah, I would probably expect that too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, another performance from Liverpool, uh, brace from Jota, what you want. I mean, the only surprising thing about the game is 4-0 Liverpool and Skull is not on the score sheet. That's, I mean, really the only surprising thing of the entire game. Uh, Van Dyke, a, a, a goal off of a corner. You expect it to be off his head. No, it's actually off of his foot. He scored off of a volley. Really impressive uh, finish, actually. And then, I, but it, it still questions me with Van Dyke. I continue to say it because he doesn't seem the same. I, he scores the goal, and it's like, okay, Van Dyke, finally finding his form again. Look at this. Right after he scores the goal, he gets caught out defensively. So. It's 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 questionable to me. I just think obviously he's still a top defender. I continue to say that, but he's I don't know since the injury he hasn't been the same at least defensively. I mean I think he's really going to be tested once we get to the the knockout stages of of the Champions League, um, and we'll, and we'll be talking about what has been taking place in the group stage recently in in a couple of minutes. But yeah, I think that's where we'll see is Van Dyke the same as he used to be. 
can he put in that dominant performance in a knockout tie, you know, in, in a second leg. And, and I guess we'll find out uh, later this spring. Um, I quickly touched on Norwich and, and Wolves drawing so we can move on past that. It was Aston Villa picking up results going to uh, Selhurst Park. And as I said, great start under Steven Gerrard thus far. Their second win on the bounce now. Um, it was Matt Target on the score sheet and then John McGinn in the 86th minute. I just have to say, just a beautiful strike. Pretty vintage McGinn. Left foot, side netting, first time finishes wrapped around it so beautifully. And then Mark Gwe, he's got a consolation goal for Palace. Actually, his, his uh, second goal in consecutive weeks. Um, but it wasn't enough. And, and Villa have six from six under Gerrard. Absolutely. They do it and they're looking great, uh, but they're running up against it because they have city midweek. So it, it see if they can continue that run, but absolutely Gerard showing uh, some, some good signs with the club. I mean, as, as expected, Gerard, fantastic pedigree, fantastic CV so far. So hopefully he can continue it for Villa. It's, it's looking good for him. And then and, uh, and it's not like, sorry, I was just going to say it's, and it's not like palace are, are a easy squad to beat at the moment. I mean, Patrick Vieira has them playing some, some pretty good stuff. So going to Selhurst park and getting win, I think is definitely notable and is, is, uh, you know, going to bring even more confidence for Villa to be, to be building off of and, and building momentum. Certainly it brings them level on points as well, both on 16 now. Moving to the last game of Saturday, which was uh, Leeds traveling to the Amex uh, to take on Brighton. This one ended nil-nil. Um, apparently, it was not a, a bad watch for a nil-nil. I didn't watch it myself, Justin, but I know that you did. So uh, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, uh, it, was, it wasn't a bad watch. You're right. It was a good game for nil-nil. I mean, not, obviously, it wasn't the best game ever, but... Um, there were definitely chances both ways, especially uh, for Brighton. There, there was chances all over the place. So, and Mape had a sitter that he missed. So it, returning to the old Brighton of not being able to capitalize on their XG, it seemed. Um, with Bright, Brighton had nearly two goals of XG, 1.9 to 8.88 for Leeds. So nearly 2 to 1 XG, uh, which shows you know there were chances in this game, just not finished off, as, as you would expect with a Leeds game, but you don't expect a nil-nil in a Leeds game. So yeah, uh, a nil-nil, but not the worst watch ever uh, for a nil-nil. Yeah, and I do just have to say, kind of the biggest story out of this match was that Brighton fans were booing at the, at the full-time whistle, um, which I think is quite ridiculous considering that, you know, they probably should have won the game. But Brighton fans cannot be thinking they're like above Graham Potter. And Graham Potter was very perplexed when that was happening. Like, what is going on? And then he talked about it in his in his uh, post-match presser. But, hey, Brighton, if you don't want Graham Potter, I'll take him, you know. Everton could probably use him right about now because we look yeah, absolutely I mean, dull and uninspiring going if forward. If anybody should be booing, it should be Leeds sitting near the relegation zone. Uh, Brightener in the top half currently. So it's it's a bit perplexing there for sure. Yeah, facts. And, you know, that, that'll be my segue going into the Everton game. Uh, we went to the Brentford Community Stadium, a 1-0 loss. Ivan Tony scoring a goal from the spot. Just a stupid challenge from Andros Townsend, putting his foot way too high. Uh, kicking, I think it was on Yeka in the face. I'm not sure, um, but inside the box, clear penalty, um, and, and then a goal. Um, Ivan Tony converted. 
But, you know, I was just saying we could use Graham Potter because Everton have been awful going forward. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin out doesn't help. Damar Gray was on the bench for this game um, and then came off because of that slight injury he picked up against City. And then um, Richarlison was suspended. So, you know, a, a front three of Gordon Townsend, Rondon, and Awobi at 10 is never going to be fantastic. But the fact of the matter is that Alex Awobi won Everton's goal of the month for November because it was the only goal that we scored in November. That is pathetic. Um, and as damning, you know, it's damning. And the th- the thing is that, you know, it needs to get better and, you know, we need Calvert-Lewin back. He's so, so important. I honestly don't know if there's a single player as important to their team than Dominic Calvert-Lewin is to Everton. I think you'd be hard pressed to find one, uh, personally. So, um, we need him back. Yep. Obviously I, I, I still don't think that Rafa should get sacked because, you know, what are you supposed to do when our best center back, our best center mid, our best striker have all been injured for, you know, the majority of the season. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think he should be sacked, but we're now sitting in 14th. Um, we are winless in seven going into the Derby. I don't know. I'm, I'm just very, very scared of Wednesday. I think it could get really ugly. Um, and you know, the scenes at Goodison park will, will not be good if that does happen. Yeah, I agree with, I agree with your point as well about DCL. I think last year it, w- it would have been Grealish to Villa, but he's no longer there. So DCL probably is the most important team to his or player to his team, uh, in the league. Moving on to Manchester city who got a two, one win against West Ham who were sitting fourth in the premier league. So a pretty big game actually. Uh, at Ilkay Gundogan getting the first goal in the 33rd minute. He ended up winning man of the match uh, as well, so a good game for him. And then Fernandinho came off the bench, scored with one of his first touches of the game, a really quality finish to the corner in the 90th minute, which at the time didn't seem like it would matter much just putting the game away, but that's exactly what it did, put a game away because Lanzini in the 94th minute came back with an absolute stunner. Uh, just rifling past uh, Ederson into the top left corner. Unstoppable for sure. So uh, it ended up being 2-1. That Fernandinho goal did matter, ended up being the winner. So uh, very thankful for him coming on and scoring that. Uh, and then it, it put City only one point back of Chelsea with uh, the Chelsea draw with Manchester United that we'll get to in a couple of minutes. But uh, a really big win for City. Uh, West Ham now sit in fourth. Still t- now tied with Arsenal, though, who uh, got a big win as we as we discussed against Newcastle. So those two uh, are level on uh, 23 points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, big result for City, keeping pace in in the uh, in the title race and uh, keep keep the momentum going. City continue to win. Uh, I believe that's five in a row, if I'm not mistaken. So starting a little run here. Yeah, and and Lanzini, that dude only scores bangers, bro. That was just a ridiculous finish off the post and in. You could have two Edersons and he's not saving that. Um, and then obviously we don't need to talk about his goal against Spurs last season. Just absolutely unreal. Um, let's move on to one of the other games from Sunday, which was Leicester. You know, as we talked about getting, you know, smacked by Chelsea at home. But this was their bounce back game against Watford in the snow you know, there was a lot of snow actually around the grounds this week. Um, there was no snow in the first half this, of this game, but the second half you could barely see. Like you, I looked at the, the highlights here, and uh, literally you could not see the fans in the second half because it was just this blanket of snow coming down. Um, but it was Leicester with kind of an offensive explosion here. 
they won this game 4-2 thanks to goals from James Madison. By the way, that James Madison goal, just a horrible mistake from William Trustekong, who I like a lot because his YouTube channel is quality and he does videos with, with Ben <laughs> Foster, the cycling GK. But he made a very bad mistake, let James Madison in, uh, and, and he's not going to miss from there. And then it's just Jamie Vardy's quality. Both of these goals are just vintage Jamie Vardy. The first one, he gets through uh, from a really tough angle, but uses the outside of his boot to, to chip it over Ben Foster. Just a classic Vardy finish. And then uh, a really well-directed header off of a corner. Um, but, you know, Watford did have interest in this game. It was 1-1 at one point. Um, after that Madison goal, it was Josh King scoring yet again um, from the penalty spot this time. Um, and, and then, you know, Lester went up 2-1 thanks to Vardy and and then 3-1. But then, you know, Watford, it's, it was Emmanuel Dennis scoring again. You know, Watford's strikers have, had, have been having pretty decent years. Um, but, you know, that was 3-2. And, and then Adam Lookman uh, scored a tap in, a really good assist from, uh, from Harvey Barnes. Um, and, and that would seal it off for Leicester. A 4-2 win, a, a much-needed three points for them, which puts them up in, in 10th. And I... Uh, you know, I, I would be surprised if they went, didn't go up from there. But, yeah, big, big three points for Leicester. And, you know, the interesting part about these, this Leicester-Watford uh, game was that we had actually a former Leicester manager managing Watford, and we had a former Watford manager managing Leicester, uh, which you don't see very often, but that was fun. And then as far as the game went, uh, 4-2, I don't know if it was really representative. I mean, it's representative in far as that there was a lot of uh, chances, a lot of goals. Uh, which certainly was the case, but uh, Watford had, you know, a good chance. They had a lot of chances in this game uh, to, to score. It was just that, you know, Vardy was clinical. Um, and then of course the, the, that mistake for Madison, but Vardy was clinical finishing uh, both of his finishes is, is the outside of his foot and the header, uh, both incredible finishes past Backman. Um, and, and I mean, it, on XG Watford actually were higher with 2.9 to 2.28. So uh it, it wasn't that Leicester, you know, necessarily had that better chances. It was just that they were clinical, uh, which you, you really expect from Vardy. So makes sense there. And then, Justin, uh, the biggest game of the weekend, um, it was United led by Michael Carrick in the dugout uh, going to Stamford Bridge to play the league leaders, Chelsea. Um, talk us through what happened. Yeah, uh, a big game uh, here. Finally, we see Jandon Sancho get on the score sheet uh, for, for Manchester United in the Premier League. So a really big goal for him uh, getting through and really finishing alone uh, by himself after, after a mistake by Chelsea. So uh, getting him on the score sheet and it looked like, you know, United could get a really shock win at Stamford Bridge uh, until Chelsea came back and just started put, piling the pressure. It led to a penalty for Jorginho in the 69th minute, which he buried as he normally does. Uh, and it ended like that 1-1. As a City fan, this was uh, the best result I can ask for because I didn't want either of them to win. I want them both to lose. So a draw is uh, what I can ask for. And then, yeah, it, it Got them one point, so it maintains them as uh, Chelsea being number one in the Premier League on 30 points, but only one point of Manchester ahead of Manchester City right now. So the, the title race is getting very tight uh, with Liverpool one point back of City. So within two points, we have three teams at the top. So it's, it's going to get exciting like we hoped it would, it seems. 
Yeah, I mean, the Sancho goal all came from just a horrible, horrible mistake by Jorginho. Obviously made up with it, uh, made up for it with the penalty, rather, I should say. But um, <laughs> I just have to quickly mention the fact that Jorginho finished third in the Ballon d'Or race. What? Yeah. It yeah. Just utterly I knew it was going to come up. Utterly ridiculous. Uh, like, yes, okay, he won the Champions League with Chelsea. He won the Euros with Italy, but he was like the third best midfielder on both those teams. Like, don't give me that, man. That's so dumb. It's a, it's an individual award, not a team award. So you, you know, Jorginho, yeah, he's not like he's not even Chelsea's best midfielder, and he's not even Italy's best midfielder. He's probably Italy's third best midfielder. I think both Barella and Locatelli are both better than Jorginho. So the fact that he's third in the Ballon d'Or, I just have oh. to say that's that's ridiculous in my opinion. I agree with it being ridiculous. I don't know about the Italy. I mean, I think he's better for Italy than he is for Chelsea. Even he's really good for Italy. Um, the way that he fits into that. He's system. still not as good as Barella. But he's still not as good as Barella. Different, different players. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it is shocking that that he finished third. Uh, meanwhile, somebody like Ruben Diaz finished twenty sixth. So, <laughs> he didn't he win Defender of the Year or something? Yeah. And he's 26 yeah. in the Ballon d'Or. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really make too much sense. Um, the only thing that did make sense was Messi wins it. So yeah, I I agree. I, a lot of people were saying Lewandowski should win it. I think obviously he should have won it last year, and Leo said that himself in his speech. But no, Messi I think deserved to win it this year. He carried a pretty horrible Barcelona squad to a Copa del Rey win, won the Pichichi for the umpteenth time, and then had, you know, arguably the, the greatest international tournament of any player ever, becoming the first player to ever score the most goals, register the most assists, win player of the tournament, and win the final of a major international tournament ever. So, no, I think the seventh Ballon d'Or, well-deserved from Leo, the greatest of all time, without a doubt. So, that part definitely yeah was not was not at odds with that decision yeah you know I'm, I'm in agreement with you there Gary I mean definitely last year Lewandowski deserved uh, the Ballon d'Or it's unfortunate that they did not give one away because he, he really deserves one in his uh, trophy cabinet but unfortunate uh, there and this year I mean Lionel Messi as you said his tournament uh, was incredible for Argentina uh, he hasn't been uh, sensational for PSG. That's why I think people are, you know, thinking a lot about it because he hasn't been great uh, recently. And so people have this recency bias uh, and forgetting what he's done throughout the entire year. So I, I, I'm still in favor of giving it to Messi. And it, you can't go wrong giving it to the best player to ever live. Uh, so that that's my opinion on that one. I mean, he did have a hat trick of assists last weekend or this weekend rather. So it's not like he's been awful for PSG. He just, you know, hasn't been quite as prolific, but you know, there was always going to be an adjustment period, but I mean, he's still Leo Messi. He's still the best player in the world. And, and if you were, you know, giving the Ballon d'Or to who the best player in the world is, Messi would have won it like 15 times in a row. So I don't have a problem with him winning a seventh whatsoever. As you said, Justin, let's move on to uh, match day five out of six in the group stage of the UEFA champions league obviously headlined by PSG City, uh, which we will talk about. But uh, let's start on Tuesday, and it was Chelsea really making up for uh, their loss at uh, the Allianz Stadium in uh, 
Turin, but they came back and they hosted Juventus this time at Stanford Bridge, um, and they smacked them 4-0, thorough victory. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, as you say, much better performance from Chelsea than the first time they played Juventus. Uh, Juventus tried to play a similar style, uh, that, that sitting back hit him on the counter because you know Chelsea are harder to break down teams when they don't have uh, th- their best players in there. You know, like a Lukaku, um, but Chelsea found a way this time. It, it wasn't uh, nearly as difficult for them to break down Juventus, Chalaba, James, Cho, Werner. I mean, just goal after goal, uh, finding a way through through Juventus. Uh, and I mean, it shouldn't be that hard right now. Juventus are not having a good season, um, so it, it shouldn't be the impressive thing that beating Juventus 4-0 used to be. Uh, th- this is what Chelsea should be doing to Juventus at the current moment. So the fact that they didn't last time was was more the surprising thing than this 4-0. But of course, yeah, 4-0 is impressive victory. And uh, yeah, uh, Chelsea secure their uh, spot in the round of 16. Uh, and we will see who wins the group because uh, Chelsea and Juventus are now both on 12 points. Those are the two that will be moving on uh, from group H. So Match day six will decide the winner of that group. Yeah. And then, Justin, you, you talked earlier about when we were talking about Chelsea versus United, Jaden Sancho finally getting on the score sheet. That was in the Premier League just because earlier uh, last week on, on Tuesday, he actually got on his first goal for United full stop um, in their win over Villarreal, uh, a 2-0 win. Um, it was a goal from Sancho, obviously, in the 90th minute. But um, also Cristiano Ronaldo scored what would be the winner in the 78th minute, which is probably what, like the third, fourth time he scored a winner for United in, in, in the group stage, which is a bit ridiculous. Um, he is Mr. Champions League for a reason. It's not a debate. He is Mr. Champions League because he always shows up in moments like this. And it's a bit insane that he's still doing it at, at this age. Um, but yeah, United, um, you know, a big win for them. Um, staking their claim. They are... Um, top of Group F by three points now, so big, definitely big win for them. Um, and they look likely to advance into the round of sixteen. Um, you know, they failed to do that last year, obviously. So, um, yeah, they secured their spot at the round of sixteen. Oh, they now. did. Okay, so, yeah, I guess yes. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, looking at the table now, actually, yeah, there's only one game left. So yes, they did because they're four points clear yeah. of Atalanta. Just not, just not certain to win the group. Uh, potentially makes Valencia, sense. Villarreal could could win the group. Uh, but yes, United secured the spot, looking likely to win the group as well. And then, as this is the last United game, I, we will be discussing this uh, podcast episode. We have to. We discussed the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We got us. Uh, discuss the appointment of interim manager Ralph Ragnick, which is, uh, in my opinion, a fantastic, fantastic appointment for United. Um, of course, he's being appointed in this interim role, but it's not just a, an interim basis. He will be moving into a consulting role at the end of the season uh, with Manchester United, which is he's got to be a very, very po- powerful man within Manchester United uh, is the upshot of that. So, I mean, I think that this is a great move for United. Unfortunate as a City fan, I, I don't love it, but I think he's he can be the guy who can, you know, straighten out Manchester United, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch as a club. Uh, they're scouting where they're making moves, uh, where they're spending their money. But yeah, on the pitch, I mean, he is, of 
course, the father of Higgin pressing. He influenced Klopp and Tuchel. So he will, you know, be going up against his protégés. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, we'll see what he can do. It's it's going to be interesting. I think that, yeah, as I said earlier, Don, Donny van de Beek probably will, you know, thrive better. Jane Sancho, we've already seen has as thrived since Ole left. He'll probably thrive even more under Rainier with because he's a very good presser, of course. Um, but we might see players like Ronaldo. I mean, Ronaldo has to adapt. So if he doesn't adapt, he he's not going to start under Rangnick. He he's, has to be able to press and, and work as a team. Um, so very interesting there. I think it's a good move for United. Uh, and, you know, regardless of how well he does, I don't think it should be ever appointed as a permanent manager. I don't even know if they're even considering that. Um, but yeah, him moving into a consulting position as well is also frightening for the rest of the league, in my opinion. So Garrett, please give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, it, you know, it, when he moves into, I didn't know it was consulting. I thought it was it was more like a, a established position in the hierarchy. Either way, you know, they've been needing, you know, not exactly a director of football, but, you know, Ed Woodward should not be kind of heading up your football operations. And, you know, I don't trust Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with 200 mil or whatever, you know, they've given him. So I, I think if, if he can have a, a longer impact beyond just obviously this interim spell where he'll be, you know, manager through May, um, then, you know, I, I agree. I think it's a really smart move from United. Um, and then, you know, we'll see who, who they end up appointing at the end of the season. I still think that Zidane is probably the best option out there, but, you know, we'll see who's available come this summer. And then Justin, just uh, if you have any, do you have anything else to add on that before we just speed through a couple of the other uh, Champions League games? Uh, I will say Zidane's wife doesn't want to live in Manchester, but that's fair <laughs> enough. That. I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, elsewhere, we had Barcelona and Benfica drawing nil nil, um, which is quite an interesting result because it keeps Barcelona in second with Benfica in third, with one game to go. I think Barcelona um, coming second in this group actually is would be an accomplishment for them. Um, I, I might, I, I think in our UCL predictions uh, episode, I said that Barcelona would finish third. Um, so correct. looking like, looking like I will be wrong. They're going to squeak no, past Benfica. Maybe. I wouldn't be so sure because Barcelona have Bayern on the sixth. Oh, match okay. And then Benfica have, okay. So it's still very possible. And uh, bo- both Barca and Benfica have, um, the same goal difference uh, of negative four. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be, that's, that's actually gonna be very interesting. I didn't realize that Barca's last Great game way. was Bayern. So um, obviously are... two point leeway, but if Benfica win and Barcelona lose. Yeah. Or, or Barcelona draw and Benfica win because that would Benfica would edge them on goal difference um, in that scenario. So, and on head to head as well, because they beat them. In the, so I'm right. not sure which one takes priority, but um, they, they beat them in the first game. So they would, either way, Barcelona, yeah, they, they really need Benfica to not win. <laughs> they, they need yeah. Kiv to do them a big favor, which seems unlikely based on the fact that they've lost all but one. Yeah, I think they, they got to hope that Bayern, you know, secured the group. They may not put out their best lineup. They may not be, be really up for the game necessarily because, yeah, secured the group easily on 15 points with five wins through five matches. Um, so, yeah, n- not issues for Bayern. But, I mean, really, um, Barcelona are lucky to be in it because uh, Benfica should have won that game. They're, they're, they had um, a chance through Juremchuk at the – end of the game that he should have buried it's really a a terrible miss for him um 
So really, uh, really lucky actually for Barcelona to still be in second place and have that shot because yeah, they're, they're going to need to beat Bayern or get some help. It's, it's a tough situation for Barcelona, but definitely fascinating uh, and exciting for the six match day in that group. Yeah, well, my my prediction might come true. I still think seeing Barcelona in the Europa League would be just a bit surreal. Like, that's going to be insane if, if it happens. Um, it's a bit mental, for sure. And then uh, we had Sevilla, who beat Wolfsburg by a score of 2-0, um, which means that they are, are going to get that third spot most likely. They're a point above Wolfsburg. Um, so I guess it's not, it's not secure, but it seems like Sevilla might be going to the Europa League and, you know, knowing what Sevilla does, very high likelihood that they win it again. So, um, yeah, what that, a, what a fantastic group that is. Uh, yeah, seriously. The, four through one on five, six, seven, eight points. So extremely tight. Uh, in, it's still in that a toss up on, on that. And yeah, final, final week of the season, but I feel like the Europa League gods are going to want Sevilla to come back so that they can make another run because I don't know how that club has such an affinity for that competition, but they really do. Yeah, it will be Lille versus Wolfsburg and Salzburg versus Sevilla uh, on the fat, on the on the final uh, match day. So, well, that's an that's an advantage for Sevilla getting through. Then I think, I think that's the favorable fixture playing Leipzig. Uh, Salzburg, I mean, or that's Salzburg what I meant. Yeah, Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's really a toss-up in this group with the fixtures on match day six. This is very, very exciting. You love groups like this because, of course, we have groups like Group H where the the winners are already decided. It's not even exciting. Even or, or we could go to Group A where all the positions are already decided except for that third spot. So, yeah, I mean, we, we like these Group Gs where it's really tight. Um, and we discussed this at the beginning. I mean, what really constitutes the group of death? Because this could be considered right. it because it's a toss-up. It's well, a toss-up between what, any if, teams. If I, I could be wrong, but I remember you saying that Group A would be the group of death just because of City and PSG. But I was arguing for Group G because it's a complete toss-up. And we're down to the last match week, and it's still a complete toss-up. Because anyone could finish top of this group, and anyone could finish bottom. And that's a bit insane. Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely, yeah, definitely going to be, honestly, those are probably the games that, that I'll be watching um, because, you know, the, the rest of it is pretty, pretty settled other than obviously Barca Benfica, you know, that situation. But um, the rest of the groups, you know, it's pretty obvious where things are going. Um, you know, that's bolstered by Liverpool getting a 2-0 win over Porto and Inter getting a win over Shakhtar. Um Dortmund continue to crumble in the Champions League. They lost to Sporting 3-1. Which means they are officially in the Europa League. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I wouldn't be that mad about that if I was a Dortmund fan because they have a much better chance of winning that than they would have even getting past the round of 16 had they qualified um, because they've just been woeful in, in European competition so far this season. Certainly have, and it raises the question, does Holland leave in January to go play UCL football? Uh, it's, it's interesting. And, I mean, and, and in that group, Sporting and Ajax, both very impressive uh, throughout the group stage, in my opinion. So Ajax, serious, serious uh, dark horse contenders. They, they are my dark horse uh, in this tournament. Interesting. You know, maybe uh, 
pulling back the years a little bit, back to uh, 2019 when obviously they got to the semifinal and only didn't advance to the final because of the infamous Lucas Moura last minute, uh, I guess, equalizer, but uh, won the tie on away goals. Um, yeah. Milan picked up a 1-0 win against Atleti. Um, and so um, that's, you know, Atletico Madrid currently are bottom of that group, which is a bit insane. Liverpool, obviously, five wins from five. They've been phenomenal. Um, but, you know, I guess second through fourth, I guess Group B is, is one of the, you know, probably two, three groups that are not settled yet because, you know, any of Porto, Milan, Atleti could either qualify for the round of 16 or end up in the Europa League or finish bottom. Um, so that's kind of crazy. Um, it's kind of a bloodbath between those three due to the fact that they've all just been uh, taking L's from Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely. Five, five wins from five for Liverpool as well. Um, so Bayern, Liverpool, and Ajax, the only teams five for five uh, throughout uh, this group stage so far with, yeah, as, as I say, Ajax beating Dortmund 4-0 and then sporting 5-1, frightening. These are the types of results you see from Liverpool uh, and Bayern as well. So it's very impressive uh, from, from these groups. And then, yeah, as you say, we don't know. Uh, we only have 11 teams that we know going through, so we still have some, uh, some spots up for grabs in that final match day, which is always fun. To- yeah. Yeah. So let's just, and let's talk about the biggest game of, of the match week now, yeah. which was Manchester city hosting PSG. Um, obviously quickly it was killing Mbappe who opened the scoring um, in the 50th minute, but city would come from behind um, what they couldn't do in Paris. Um, it was Raheem Sterling in the 63rd minute getting on the score sheet and then Gabriel Jesus in the 76th giving city um, all three points. Um, and, and I believe, yeah, uh, yeah, so putting them uh, top of the group, they will win the group. Um, obviously, we knew that they would go through Leipzig and, and Bruges, both actually level on four points. Quickly, before I let you do a, a deeper analysis of this game, I have to say Leipzig smacked Club Bruges 5-0 um, this week, which I think is a bit interesting considering that, that Bruges gave PSG a lot of problems earlier. But with that being said, Justin, what were your thoughts on this game as a City fan, of course, um, you know, doing what you were unable to do at the Parc de France? Yeah, absolutely, as you say. Uh, first of all, yeah, as you say, massive, massive win for Leipzig, putting them in a, a Europa League spot right now. Uh, they needed that win. Um, so hopefully... In my opinion, hopefully as an American, you know, uh, Tyler Adams, Jesse Marsh, I hope that they can sneak into the Europa League and, and get in there and hopefully make a run. But as far as my game, yes, Manchester City, PSG, uh, as you say, Mbappe uh, on the counter right through Ederson's legs. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism for Ederson recently from City fans uh, just based on his shot stopping. So I, I can't debate that that one, you know, could have been saved for sure. But it, it was uh, Raheem Sterling coming back and, and finishing. And then Gabriel Jesus with a tap-in so casual um, from, from a, a pass from Bernardo Silva, which was also rather casual. Um, but yeah, a 2-1 two, a two, win. As you say, we came back. We weren't able to do it in Paris. Uh, I think it's pretty clear to anybody watching both of these games that Manchester City were the better side in both games. Uh, you know, better on goal difference. Or, sorry, better on uh, expected goals. Um, in both of these games, 
this one being a 2-1 essentially expected goals. Two metrics to say the game very much reflected uh, the the uh, XG in, in this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a really good game from from Manchester City and and the Raheem Sterling back and forth. I mean, this was a really good game for him because he won't get on the uh, you know stat sheet for the second goal. But if you watch that goal again, it's Raheem Sterling uh, who creates the goal by pulling uh, Hakimi, I believe it was, inside and leaving Bernardo Silva by himself uh, for, for the pass. So. Yeah, a really good performance for Manchester City. Probably should have won both games. Won this game, secured the group. That's all that matters. So Manchester City will be moving on as the winners of Group A. PSG second in the group. So those will be uh, the two from from Group A, as I'm pretty sure everyone predicted. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. P- people thought PSG, there's this front line, but it, it's not surfacing. I mean... So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens in the knockouts. That's what matters. Yeah, not quite clicking for PSG. Um, obviously, they have a bit of time. And, you know, knockouts won't be for a little bit now, and they'll have plenty of league games. I honestly have been a bit disappointed with, with Pochettino in general. I just don't think there is an excuse for having that lineup, that caliber of a roster, you know, top to bottom, one of the best I've ever seen. Um, there is no excuse to, to, you know, be underperforming. And, and although they're picking up results, uh, you know, and in Liga, they have not been as commanding as you'd expect based on who they have on that payroll. But with that, Justin, we will move into our final segment, um, which is obviously talking about the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, so I don't think we've discussed I think our last episode was before the playoffs started at all. So um, we have plenty right. of games to discuss here. Justin, let's start in the Eastern Conference. Um, in our first round, we had uh, Philadelphia uh, at home hosting uh, New York Red Bulls and just an insane winner from Jacob Glesnes, who you know we know and obviously you know as an LAFC fan scores bangers it's what he does and it was a 97th minute or no sorry 127th minute volley something crazy like that end of extra time um dipping into the bottom uh corner and and you know sending philadelphia through um to the conference semis yeah absolutely as you say as an lafc fan i don't need a reminder of who jacob lesness is um yeah 123rd minute bangs it into the oh, top yeah, there corner you go. i yeah, it's oh my goodness, Jacob Lesnes. He shows up and he scores bangers. It's all he does. We said it about Lanzini earlier in the episode. Glesnes is in that category as well. Um, yeah, I mean, a, yeah, a real his, stunner. His goal against Atlanta earlier in the season was just insane. It's kind of hard to pick between you know the three or four just absolute wonder goals that he's scored in MLS thus far. They've all been so good. Um, and so then Philadelphia would, you know, take on Nashville who um, in the first round hosted Orlando um, at home. They had not lost a single home game um, in the entire season. That did not change in this game. It was actually Orlando who would take the lead first. Uh, thanks to a goal from Daryl DK. Um, you know, we talked about it when we were previewing this. I said that I, I thought Nashville would probably, end up picking up the win, which they did. But you mentioned, you know, difference makers like DK 
and you know he gave them the lead but nashville came storming back um it was haney mukhtar with a deflected effort in the 21st minute to get it level and then he scored again and then it was a you know just a cherry on top from cadiz in in uh, the 94th minute and nashville beat orlando to move on to play against philadelphia yeah uh, absolutely i mean the story of this game is honey mukhtar honey mukhtar honey mukhtar i mean he continues to to provide for Nashville, continues to win games for them and continue to show, you know, why he's an MVP candidate and one of the front runners for it. He is a sensational player and he has been showing it all season um, for Nashville. On, on the Orlando side, the story is uh, Luis Nani, who did not start this game. And then, of course, after the game, announced that he will be leaving Orlando City and will no longer play for them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's expected, I think, that we we both thought that Nashville would win this game at home, uh, which they ended up doing, and, and you know continue their impressive season. So yeah, then as you say, they moved on to play Philadelphia in the conference semifinals, which uh, was at Subaru Park in Philadelphia. I forgot and, it was called um, that now. Yes, yes, correct. It it is Subaru Park, uh, and that game was 1-1 into penalties. And the story there was Nashville unable to convert a penalty. Their first two both saved by Andre Blake, and then they were off target with both of those, the last one being uh, Walker Zimmerman firing it past the right side over the bar and losing the game. Uh, And it was really surprising. I mean, four penalties, you can't score one. That That is quite embarrassing. Uh, for sure. And it was uh, Jake McGlynn, the 18-year-old for Philadelphia, scoring the winning penalty, which was only the second second score penalty for Philadelphia, but it was the winner. Yeah. And you, you know, you talked about, oh, Haney Mukhtar, Haney Mukhtar. He scored again in this game. He gave Nashville the lead, but it was Gazdag in, in a first half stoppage time who, who made it 1-1 and then obviously scoreless in the second half to penalties. I think, I guess we found uh, Haney Mukhtar's one weakness, Justin, which is that he is not good from the penalty spot. He missed in, in the shootout, obviously, and he's now one for five in his career. So, you know, MVP candidate, amazing goal scorer, goal creator. He's been just phenomenal this season, but, uh, you know, probably not going to be putting him on penalties anytime soon if, if I'm Nashville. Um, but yeah, Philadelphia getting the win at home. I think it's funny. <laughs> We're talking about Nashville's crazy good home record. They didn't lose a game at home, but, you know, first playoff, playoff game on the road and they just choked it in penalties you know you can't miss four in a row that's embarrassing as you said but going back to the first Certainly. round justin on, on the kind of the top side of the bracket if you will it was new york city hosting atlanta um, at yankee stadium and a pretty convincing 2-0 win for the new yorkers um and it was tati castellanos of course who found the opener a bit of a strange goal kind of volleyed it into the ground and then up and over both guzan um, and uh, Shaq Moore, um, and I don't know, they were being a bit, or sorry, it was not Shaq, George Bella was what I meant to say there. Wrong USMNT fullback. Um, uh, it was bad defending, but, you know, Castellanos has been doing this all season, scoring goals, won the golden boot, obviously, and then just a few minutes later, it was Alexander Kayens, I believe, as you pronounce it, who made it 2-0, and uh, Atlanta kind of went down with a whimper. 
Certainly did. Yeah, just it just wasn't the performance that Atlanta needed uh, in this game after their you know revival in the second half of the season uh, with a new manager. And then, yeah, they, it just wasn't the game for them. It's not like, yeah, New York City had the most incredible game, but found those two goals, whether they were amazing or not, uh, and found the way through to, to the next round. And they will be facing New England, uh, who still are yet to play in the playoffs. <laughs> it's ridiculous, really, um, that we're, we, we know three of the four conference finalists and we still have New England yet to play. Um, so they will be hosting New York City, uh, which is the last conference semifinal that we have. Um, and, and so, that, of course, that winner will be playing Philadelphia. If New England wins, they will host it. If New York City wins, uh, they will travel to Philadelphia. Yep, back to Subaru Park. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. And then yeah, we can so that uh, game. That on. game is tomorrow, yeah. So that game is tomorrow. And so we'll find out right. tomorrow. Yeah, so it will be uh, – well, today as we're releasing it. So we, Yes, uh, true. Yes. Uh, and then we can move on to uh, the Western Conference uh, side of the bracket where the first game we had was Sporting Kansas City hosting Vancouver uh, at – Dignity Health, or sorry, not Dignity Health, Children's Mercy. Getting there my, we go. Uh, health healthcare providers. <laughs> getting my healthcare providers mixed up after you got your USMNT fullbacks mixed up. All yeah. right. Uh, yes. Sorry. Uh, but but yes, 3-1 for Sporting Kansas City. Um, it was uh, Shelton opening the scoring. Dahomey with a penalty uh, equalizing for Vancouver. And then... Uh, Sporting Kansas City getting two more with the the stunner being Graham Zusi in the 58th oh. minute. I mean, what a goal! We we keep talking about the MLS and their goals and the league of bangers as we like to call it because as much criticism as uh, the MLS gets, there are always incredible goals to be scored and and the MLS Cup playoffs are showing it. Yeah, hundred percent. And the fact that Graham Zusi is still out here starting games and scoring absolute screamers at age 35 is very impressive. Um, you know, Sporting Kansas City, I think definitely deserved to win this game. Vancouver had chances, um, but nothing amazingly clear cut. Um, and and they, they really didn't trouble Tamili. Like all the, the chances they did have, they just kind of put right at him. Um, so I was kind of disappointed with Vancouver. Just their quality in the final third was, was you know, very much lacking. Um, and then, you know, the, the other game or then the other game, which they would face, you know, kind of leaving chronological order here, but it's the most notable game in the playoffs thus far, in my opinion, at least, um, was RSL going to Seattle to Lumen Fields, right? Not CenturyLink anymore. Lumen Fields to, to take on the two seed Sounders. And Justin, this was just, I watched this whole game, all 120 minutes plus the penalty. There's one word for it. Give it to us. It was the ultimate, the ultimate shite house. The biggest shite house I have ever seen and will likely ever see. Certainly. RSL had zero shots. Not shots on target. They had zero shots in 120 minutes of football, Justin, and they won. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Zero that, like, shots. What? It's one of those where you just you just sit there and say, "What have I just watched?" Shake your what head. What have I like truly what? just watched? I, I could not. I, when you got, and where are you shaking your head? You got to shake your head at Seattle. I mean, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. 
a hundred percent. And you know, they had, you know, um, they had Lodero come off the bench and they had Rui Diaz, um, come off the bench. Well, right. But... Right. Why? I mean, you got a point at Brian special. Why is your top goal scorer? One of the best strikers in MLS, if not the best, why is he not starting? No, a hundred percent. And like, then and then in penalties they had they had a chance to win it and they and they blew it and then you know next next penalty um, they miss and and then it's uh, Justin Glad who scores for RSL and actually just saw I just want to quickly note I saw a TikTok the other day which was Justin Glad's <laughs> sister reacting to oh, yeah, him I saw that yeah the winning goal the winning penalty. Uh, which was very wholesome, but I mean, going into this penalty shootout, I was, I was, I don't like, I mean, I, I, I strongly dislike both of these teams in general, but I really uh, wanted Seattle to win just because I was like, there's no football has no integrity if RSL win this game and they did. And, but at the same time, it's, I think the much more entertaining storyline just because i i will never understand how in the world they won this. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it also provided us our first upset of the MLS playoffs at the time uh, with, with a seven beating a two. So, yeah, I mean, just, just a game that you can't forget. How do you, how do you let this happen? I mean, yeah, Schmetzer is trying to rest people for the next round. That's not how his playoffs works. So you you play and you got to – it's extremely greedy. I mean, Brian Schmetzer is one of the best coaches in MLS, and I don't think that's up for debate. But that decision, these decisions, it's a mistake, and it came back and bit them. Yeah. And before we. And then we can move on on. to Seattle's big rivals. Yeah. Portland. Uh, I was going to say, before we move on. Yeah. Before we move on to Kansas City facing RSL, we'll go over to uh, Providence Park, where Portland took on Adrian Heath's. Minnesota United and got a pretty convincing 3-1 victory. Um, it, it was an entertaining game for sure. Um, and, and you look at the stats and Minnesota actually had more shots on target, although Portland had 18 shots and only put four of them on target. That's pretty poor, but it was the Sebastian Blanco show in this game. And yep. the dude is just, man, he is quality. Um, his, you know, so it was Franco Fragapane actually who opened the scoring for Minnesota a really well-worked goal, and then he just had it happen at the back post. But Laris Mabiala um, scored, and that's some foreshadowing about Laris Mabiala scoring, which we'll talk about more later, um, to <laughs> equalize it at, at the end of the first half. And then at the beginning of the second half, Sebastian Blanco on the volley, bottom left-hand corner, just a pure strike of the ball. And then speaking of pure strikes of the ball, Justin, his goal in the 66th minute was just – chef's kiss that's the only way i can describe it league of bangers yeah the his first goal uh, reminded me of, of the one that Marti- joseph martinez scored on the final day of the mls season right across his body into the bottom left corner and then as you say banger 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 uh yeah it, portland fully deserved this win um just outplayed minnesota their fans were up for it it was a, a great atmosphere uh at providence parks as it usually is and, you know, they moved on to go face the number one seed, Colorado. So, yeah, enough yeah, said so there. That, I mean. Yeah, let's let's move on to that conference semifinal, um, which was at Dick Sporting Good Park in, in Denver. Um, and, you know, it's, as I said, Lars Mabiala coming through again, 90th minute winner. He did not score, Justin. 
at this. He did not score a single goal in the entire regular season. He's now scored in Correct. back-to-back playoff games. Uh, a bit insane, um, especially when you consider the fact that he's a center back. Um, so, you know, he bundled the ball over, over the net or over the line rather into the net in the 90th minute broke Colorado hearts who obviously, you know, they did so well to, to snatch that one seed on the final day of the regular season on MLS decision day, but it's Portland making a playoff run again. Cause this is what they do. Justin, you know, you can't sleep on them in the playoffs. They always perform in the clutch um, and they did it again, knocking off Colorado and heading to the conference finals. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think this is the only upset that I really could, could see coming. Uh, Portland yeah. are continually in the uh, playoffs. They continually you know, find a way. And as similar to Atlanta, they didn't have a great start to the season, but they picked it up in the second half. Uh, they, they started to win games. And yeah, uh, uh, as you say, Mabiala, it, the, the clutch of scoring in back-to-back playoff games after not scoring all season is... Uh, very, very impressive. Um, and Colorado, I mean, the, the damning part about this for Colorado is they were uh, pumping in crowd noise through speakers during this game because they're... Oh, I did see just, that. that. That is embarrassing. Truly it's, embarrassing. Uh, yikes. And it's not even like they're bad. Like, come on, Colorado fans, show up. Like, you guys are the one seed, you know? That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty pathetic. It's very pathetic is what it is. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you, you, they're posting on their social media that their fans are incredible um, because the, the, during during the time that they told them to yell, they started yelling for a couple minutes and took a video. Um, <laughs> not not to hate on them, not to hate on them, but I will hate on Mark Anthony K. And I will say to him, poetic justice. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think that was a, that was a cheap shot you had to take there, Justin. But you said this was an upset that you could see coming. Let's talk about an upset that no one saw coming. RSL, man, they did it again. They, they did, did it again. again. They went into Kansas City. They went into Blue Hell. They went into Children's Mercy Park, and they found a way to win 2-1. Bobby Wood, stoppage time winner. I mean, RSL have been the late, late show all season. They, they remind me of 2012 San Jose Earthquakes, who picked up something like 15 points in – the 80th minute or later in that season, which was just insane. But um, it was actually Johnny Russell who gave Kansas city the lead from the spot in the 24th minute. Um, but Anderson Julio off the bench had a big impact, just beat uh, Timelia to, to a, a cross, a really good cross in um, and headed it home. And then Bobby Wood. I mean, it's, I, I don't think, you know, obviously the occasion and the, what that goal meant has been talked about a lot, but the finish itself is brilliant because he's sliding and he opens up his body and just gets enough of a touch on it to put it straight in the corner. Absolutely no chance for Tamilia. Um, and, and RSL have done it again. And this is insane. If they can beat Portland, who they will be facing the conference finals now, and get to the MLS Cup, they would have gone to Seattle and won, gone to Kansas City and won, and then potentially gone to Portland and won to get to MLS Cup, which honestly would be probably the most impressive postseason run I have ever seen because that is insane. But you know what they say, Justin. It's the old cliche. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And RSL are playing uh i mean i wouldn't say great stuff against seattle but they are finding ways to win uh when it matters most no absolutely they weren't the better side against seattle during the the 90 minutes but they were the better side here 
They they were uh, better possession, more shots, more shots on target, more corners, fewer fouls. Everything went to RSL. They deserved this win, and they found a way to get it in Sporting Kansas City. They've, I mean, think of RSL. First of all, they've done it to Sporting Kansas City twice now. Their past yeah, three they games on the final in the last, game of the season. The final day of the season in the what? What was it? The ninety fifth minute from Krylak. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. to send them to the playoffs? I mean, think about this. In order to get into the playoffs, RSL needed to score in the 95th minute. They did that. Then they had to go into Seattle. They had zero shots, beat Seattle. Then they had to go into Sporting Kansas City and do it again with a stoppage time winner, this time the 91st minute for Bobby Wood. I mean, being an RSL fan right now must be one of the most fun things in a long time. Oh, that is, yeah. Oh, yeah. In- incredible and, and as you say they now have a chance to keep the run going uh ag- against portland in this conference semifinals. and i, I will say I- i'm gonna have to say that i think portland will stop this cinderella run um because i, I just see portland winning this game uh their fans will be ready they they will be ready to stop this run i know and rsl have got to be exhausted from from all this work that they've been doing but i you know, I, I've been, I would have thought that about the two previous games as well. So who knows? But I will say this. Uh, in the Western Conference, in the conference finals, we now have a four seed against a seven seed. In the Eastern Conference, we have the two seed already in it. And then we have the one seed who are likely to get it. And so let's say we have that one, two, and four, seven. This just proves the argument that a lot of people have been making the entire season, which is the West is a lot deeper than the East is. Oh, wow. Uh, and and that has shown in the MLS playoffs because number one was knocked off immediately. Number two was knocked off in, in the semis. Or sorry, number two was knocked off immediately as immediately well. Immediately as uh, well. Number th- yeah, exactly. Number three in the semis. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's it's very interesting. Um, it's, it's probably the reason that New England broke the points record. But regardless, we are going to get uh, two exciting conference semifinals. Uh, and hopefully tomorrow as well between New England and New York City will be a, a very good game. Yeah, for sure. And I do just have to quickly say about RSL, like, you know, I it's not like there was like premonitions that this was going to happen. Obviously, they got the, the 95th minute winner against Kansas City, which you just talked about. But the game before that, the Quakes absolutely smacked them on their own turf and just kind of ran rampant. And RSL looked like they didn't know how to defend for their lives. Uh, you know, if their lives depended on it, if you will. So it's just been kind of out of nowhere that they've done this, which has made it Absolutely. so remarkable. I mean, the MLS Cup playoffs are so entertaining, and, you know, it, this is fantastic. I'm, I'll be kind of sad when it's over. But, um, yeah, New England, New York City. Is New York City going to be able to do what RSL did? We'll see. I, I honestly imagine if it was another RSL versus Seattle situation over there, that would be mental. But I think that New England have too much quality, and it will be uh, kind of the conference finals that I think we all hoped for in the East, which was New England uh, against Philadelphia, because I think they are, just are by far and away the two best teams um, in that conference. Um, but, yeah, Portland, RSL, you know, two teams who have just been clutch and, you know, We'll see who who's going to break first, who's going to be clutch. And I honestly would be surprised if there wasn't a late winner in this game. I kind of just feel like it's going to happen. I don't know which team's going to get it, but I have a feeling it's going to be some more mental MLS drama. 
Yeah, and as you see, the, the one game between that Quakes uh, game that you were just uh, mentioning and then the, the Kansas City game was Real Salt Lake against Portland. Uh, it was in Salt Lake. Portland won 3-1. Uh, of course, that was a regular season, but we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, I, I think Portland, uh, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. To me, they're almost my favorites over New England. I mean, it is. To me, it's it's. Ooh, I'll give you my predictions real quick. I'll give you my predictions real real quick. I'll tell you. I think Portland will beat RSL, as I mentioned earlier. I think they have to be able to stop this run, um, and, and I think Portland will be the team to do it. And then, yeah, I think New England will find a way past New York City. Although I don't think that's as clear cut as a lot of people may uh, think. I think New York City have quality um, and can you know change change a game. So we'll see. Uh, and New England have the ability to choke as well. So. It's not a definite there. Um, and then I think I think if they do get past that, though, I think it's they will uh, beat Philadelphia, and then we'll get a Portland-Philadelphia – I'm Portland-New England, excuse me. Uh, and then I would take Portland uh, in that uh, final. Wow. So I'm predicting Portland wow. to win MLS Cup right now. That's crazy. I mean, so the next time we, we record, um, we will know the MLS Cup matchup. So um, both of the conference finals will have been played. I, I agree with you. I, I also think it's going to be Portland-New England – um, in, in the cup final, but I'm going with New England. I just think they're, they're going to be too good for Portland. And, you know, if that game was at Providence Park, then that would be one thing. But, um, you, know, it, you know, assuming New England win, they'll be hosting it. And so then, you know, that would be a huge advantage for them. Um, and also, I mean, I guess Portland play on turf as well, don't they? So it's not like the turf is a big, the Correct. turf at Stadium is a big difference. But um, I, I still think New England are, are going to pull through um, obviously, I could be completely wrong. They could lose tomorrow, and then God knows what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, that's the beauty of, of the MLS Cup playoffs, isn't it? Certainly is, yeah. I don't know why I feel it, but I feel they're more likely to lose tomorrow than they are to uh, Philadelphia. It's an int- interesting take. I actually kind of agree with that because, you know, they, they are cold, right? They haven't played in, like, almost yeah. two weeks now. Um, yeah. and, and so if they can win tomorrow – They'll then have their momentum back. They'll be back kind of in the groove. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't think Philly are, are going to be able to do anything if it, they're at Gillette Stadium. So, um, yeah, going to be interesting, Justin. But any final thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I think that, yeah, that, that just giving those, those, those predictions, I hope they come true. I hope that uh, we'll get that New England-Portland final because I think that would be a really, really entertaining final. Um, and, and yeah, as Garrett says, the next episode that we record, we will have uh, those for you. And uh, yeah, we, we thank you for listening to our mega episode uh, that we got with two weeks worth of Premier League, as well as our UCL and uh, MLS Cup uh, coverage. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's at U90Football. Uh, and keep up to date with all of our uh, episodes when we're releasing what's what's happening if if we miss a week like that we'll we'll send up updates on our uh, twitter and yeah we we appreciate you for listening we will see the mls uh cup finals the next time we see we talk and um yeah see you later